Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. Episode 94 features one of the most underrated players to wear the blue and white, Kevin Grevy. From Hamilton, Ohio, Kevin Grevy was a member of Coach Rupp's last freshman team and Coach Hall's first three years at Kentucky during the early 70s. His reputation as a prolific scorer out of high school followed him to Kentucky, where he led the JV freshman team, averaging 22 points a game. That freshman team was known as the Super Kittens, and they were the biggest show in town. The difference between playing JV and practicing with the varsity at Kentucky with both Coach Rupp and Coach Hall might not be what you would expect. Kevin Gravy led the Super Kittens to a 22-0 record, and it was the foundation for a memorable senior year three years later. Despite a tough overall year for the Cats during Kevin's junior year, he was still able to be recognized as an All-American and first-team All-SEC. If you never thought Kentucky fans never stormed the court or threw a few oranges in Memorial Coliseum, Kevin's version is quite different. Four games into Kevin's senior year, the Cats took on Indiana, and if you need one more reason to dislike Bobby Knight, Kevin will give you one. As Kevin Grevy's senior year came to a close, him along with Jimmy Dan Connor and Mike Flynn was able to get revenge on the Hoosiers and leading the Cats to the Final Four. He's a two-time SEC Player of the Year, multiple All-American recipient, and at the time, he was the second leading scorer in Kentucky basketball history. There's a reason why this soft Southpaw's jersey hangs from the rafters at Rupp Arena. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House, and his guest, Kevin Grieving. Kevin, been a long, long time since the 70s. You came in at a time that there was changing of the guard, so to speak. Certainly did, Oscar. Long time, but still fond uh, memories uh, from uh, those days in the early 70s here in Kentucky, for sure. When you came in, you were actually being recruited while Adolph Ruff was still the head coach. I sure was. So uh, was it Adolph Ruff recruiting you, Joe Hall, the two together? And were you aware of what was about to happen? I was made aware of what was about to happen. I was being recruited by Joe B. Hall and T.L. Plain. They would be coming to my high school games occasionally. And uh, um, during that time, Coach Rupp was certainly the head coach. had great respect for Coach Rupp, but I was told that he wasn't going to be the head coach at Kentucky um, when I got there. And um, I wanted to know who was going to be my coach. You know, if Coach Rupp ain't going to be there, I said, Coach Hall, are you going to be my coach? And he said, Yes, I'm going to be your head coach. I kept thinking, well, wonder if that doesn't happen. You know, wonder if Coach Rupp does stay there. And I really didn't want to play for Coach Rupp because he wasn't recruiting. It was Joe B. Hall that was recruiting me. And I loved um, – and Dickie Parsons. I mean, I loved the assistant coaches, and I really liked Coach Hall. And he made me feel that uh, I was – uh, able to play at Kentucky. I was a little unsure of my, you know, my skills and, you know, how do you know I can play? I know I can you play. You mean you ever doubted that left A little jump bit. Shot? Well, no, I didn't Very doubt little. my jumper, but I didn't know if it was going to work in Memorial Coliseum in Kentucky, you know. And uh, I knew it was working just fine at UD Arena or uh, Cincinnati, um, going to Miami of Ohio. They were, you know, I would go to their camps. I knew the players. I didn't know the Kentucky players. I wasn't familiar with uh, Kentucky. I was aware of the traditions. My dad had a big influence with me. He was um, a basketball player at Xavier. And so he was the one sort of guiding me a little bit through the whole maze of the recruiting and all the uncertainties so I was pretty much given a promise that Joe B. was going to be my coach. And Oscar, um, uh, I still wasn't convinced. And 
then uh, I remember uh, Jim Dinwiddie coming to my house, and uh, he had a message from the president of the university. If there's any doubt, Kevin, Joe B. Hall's going to be your coach. And that was enough for me to believe that that was going to take place. Now, if I can just add one other thing to this. When I got here to Kentucky, I avoided Coach Rupp as much as I could. I was almost intimidated with him. And we were doing two-a-day practices. And, you know, that fall, my first steps here at the University of Kentucky, um, it was tough. Those practices that Coach Hall had were very difficult. And then we would have a snack. And then Jimmy, Dan, Connor, and myself were invited to practice with the varsity. Then I'd practice with the varsity. So I'm doing two-a-days every day. And practice with the freshmen and Joe B. Hall, I was hearing all the things that I wasn't good at. And he was pushing me and driving me. And Coach Rupp, he was just a gentle. I mean, he was so nice to me. And I was like, oh, no, did I make a mistake here? Coach Rupp is I'm awesome. He is so nice. This, you know, he's like a grandfather figure. And then I warmed up to him. And, and he was calling me. I don't know if he knew my name, but he was, Lefty, you are stroking it. You're going to be great. You just keep playing the way you're playing against Tom Parker and these guys. And, if I can uh, have an opportunity to coach you, that would be the greatest pleasure. I really want you. So I was really confused, and I was telling my dad this. He said, don't take sides. Just let it develop. And if Coach Rupp likes you and he does become the coach, the great. If not, well, you know that Joe B. recruited you, and he has great respect for you too. So it all worked out. I never had a chance to play for Coach Rupp. We'll come back to that in a minute. But first, let's go back to your high school days mm-hmm. growing up. Were you more than a one-sport athlete? I was. I played in multiple sports. In fact, the first sport I ever played was tennis. My mother was a good tennis player, and when I was kids growing up in Hamilton, she used to drive my sister and I to Middletown, Ohio when we were little, and we would go to Middletown, Ohio. They had the best uh, teacher in fact, I was just talking to Dennis Emery about that. Uh, John Cook, he still teaches tennis. Can you believe that? And this man was teaching me right out of Miami of Ohio. He was an All-American tennis player, and in one of his first jobs was at the clay courts in Middletown. So I learned how to play tennis, played Little League baseball, played Little Pro football, and uh, even caddied for my dad uh, with his legal friends. My dad was an attorney, so he would play on Saturday mornings, and I'd drag bags and learn how to play golf so everything kind of I was kind of a natural athlete and I was a backyard basketball player really I didn't play organized basketball until I was about 12 or 13. Did you ever give any consideration to playing another sport in college? Um, If I would have it would have been baseball I was a good pitcher and I played a lot of muni league summer league ball Um, but once I got to Kentucky and I saw the commitment it took to play on Kentucky's basketball program, then I was like, oh, my, you know, I'm just not going to have any gas left in the tank in the spring to play baseball. This is all in when you play at Kentucky. So I I didn't even think about it. And if I didn't have such a great relationship with my teammates and Coach Hall, um, I probably would have played another sport. But um, then we traveled, you know, in the summers, and we had a lot of activities and – I played for the U.S. team in the summer. I, there would have been no way I could have um, – I would have had to give up that opportunity to go to Australia, to go to China, and do things like that um, as a uh, college basketball player from Kentucky. And um, those were very valuable to me. I wanted to travel, so that's why I stayed with one sport. You had quite a high school career there. You were Mr. Ohio co-MVP your senior year. Mm -hmm. Uh, What schools did you consider? I know a lot of people down here forget, but Dayton was really a big-time basketball. Sure was. They went to the Final Four myself. And I still think that's one of my favorite arenas. Oh, I love UD Arena. Got a special feeling for that (laughs) arena. Last time I played there, I think we beat uh, Indiana. Is that right, Oscar? (laughs) I think that was it. (laughs) 92-90, as a matter of fact. The the one uh, TV shot of one lady – Near the end of the game was priceless. Yeah, Bobby Knight's wife just yes. in tears. And yeah, those are uh, 
UD Arena, um, I used to go to summer camps there, Oscar, and when I was in high school, and I would go to Miami of Ohio. Daryl Hedrick was the coach there. Don Donaher was the coach at Dayton. Tay Baker at the University of Cincinnati. Um, I also uh, was considering Ohio State. Fred Taylor was a great basketball coach. And all those coaches I just named, they were kind of retiring. They were kind of getting um, in their elderly years. And uh, I was afraid if I went to any of those uh, southern Ohio schools, they I wouldn't be able to play for the coach that was recruiting me. And it was very important to me. I didn't want to get caught up in a coaching change. So I eliminated those eventually, and it came down to Kentucky. And uh, once Coach Hall convinced me that uh, I had what it takes to play here at Kentucky, um, I didn't look back. Um, so it was one of the most difficult and one of the most challenging decisions I had to make in my life. But um, obviously I made the right one. When was the first time you heard of University of Kentucky basketball? I used to listen to it on the radio. I used to listen to games. Um, and um, um, my grandparents were from Crab Orchard, Kentucky, on the Greeby side. So um, we would vacation here in the summers. I mean, boy, we had a big trip down to Lexington, Kentucky from <laughs> Hamilton. And we would stay at the Campbell House. And there were all tobacco fields around that Campbell House. And i never seen tobacco fields. So my <laughs> sister and I, we used to sneak out of the – the room and we would cross the street and we would go in the tobacco fields and pull leaves off the plants and take them back for souvenirs and our weekends were back here to lexington and um, so i was familiar with kentucky probably when i was you know eight nine ten years old when you come to kentucky it is the beginning of the last year of adolph rupp you're playing on a freshman team at a time when uh, freshmen were not allowed to play varsity mm-hmm. um Your team came up with an attraction of a name called Super Kittens. Uh, The stories are legendary, and sometimes they get embellished a little bit over the years. But there were actually times when you would go out in a freshman game, and they'd be more fans in the stands for the freshman game than would remain for the varsity game. How, How did that play on you guys that were freshmen as players, and then how did the upperclassmen wreck when they saw people leaving the arena before their game started? Well, it's true. Uh, we had sellouts for our freshman games. Um, we would play on the road in other SEC venues, freshman game, and it'd be half full arenas. Um, as the season was going on, we started filling even road arenas because there was a curiosity. Who is this number one? freshman team from Kentucky we got to check these guys out so as we were proceeding through the season and we were undefeated I think we were 22 and 0 if I'm not mistaken it's the only undefeated team I had ever played on and it was um, it was thrilling to be able to go out there and to perform the way we did we were so together as a group and we got better and better you know how freshmen were a little green but we were maturing, getting better. As I mentioned uh, earlier, um, I was practicing with the varsity. Jimmy Dan did. We were in such fine shape, and um, that ball really moved, and we were scoring points. I mean, I think we averaged over 100 points, 110, 112. It was so much fun. And practices were fun because we would scrimmage the varsity, and Coach Rupp did not want those freshmen as much as he liked us. And he was respectful of us. He just wasn't going to let those varsity guys lose. So he'd had student managers. We had some of the worst calls in those practices. And we knew, every one of us knew, coaching going to let us win. <laughs> He's not going to let us beat these varsity guys. And um, we got to know those guys very well. And there wasn't any animosity whatsoever. I, I never felt like there was jealousy or uh, envy or um, even wishing that any of us would fail. I mean, they were great to us. Those varsity guys showed us how to be Kentucky basketball players. I'm forever grateful to Ronnie Lyons and Jim Andrews and all these guys were just terrific. There, there was something really, really special about the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. And while it was still around for a few years after you left, I think one, in fact, 76 was last year here, uh, reflecting back on it, 
the immediate eight or ten years after that, once you went into the pros, uh, how did how did you look back at the Coliseum versus the new Rupp Arena? Um, it's like uh, going to church, man. I tell you what, it was humbling. Uh, I have to admit, after I graduated from Kentucky, uh, I came back. I never came back my, after my rookie year to see a game played at Memorial Coliseum. The first time I was able to get away was All-Star break in like 78. And uh, then I started coming back to games. But those were all at Rupp Arena now. And um, I remember one summer day I had to come here for something. And I said, you know, I haven't been in Memorial Coliseum since the last game I played. And every senior remembers your last game. And it was against Mississippi State. And I remember Rick Roby Rick Rowe stole all of our thunder. He had a <laughs> magnificent game. I think he had the best game his freshman year against Michigan State. I had maybe 27 points, had a good game. I wanted to go out right, and he was spectacular. And um, But that was the last game and the last time I'd ever been in Memorial Coliseum. And when I went back, it was about like 1981 or 82. Can you believe that? It was like seven years or so. And I walked down those steps, and I started tearing up. I really did. I was like, oh, my God, this is where it all started. This is where it happened. And um, and by this time, uh, you were wearing a big ring. Yes, I was. I had won a world championship. And, um, you know, I, I lost in the finals in Ohio uh, in high school, lost in the finals in Kentucky. And finally, I got that championship ring. And it made me whole as a basketball player. But – you know, I uh, it was just wonderful to come back. And uh, and then after I got through the emotions of coming back to Memorial Coliseum, um, I love coming back. I love coming to Memorial Coliseum. Anytime I have a chance, the doors are open, or if I can slide through the Prax facility, I want to have, to have that feeling. It's just a great feeling because this is where I don't know if I ever made a commitment in my life quite like I did to being the best basketball player I could be, to being the best athlete to put out every single day in practice to give it everything you had. It's okay to do it one day. You know, some people say, well, I'm going to go lift weights and I'm going to work to failure. Well, try, try going to failure, playing basketball every single time you took it. And you really had to trust your coach and your teammates to put that kind of effort in. There, not everybody put that effort in. I don't think on my team, but I know I did. I mean, when we had walls to run, I tried to, you know, run them as best I could and line drills and do everything right. And Coach Hall um, really was the one that stressed me. That said, when we have a contest, you win it. When we have a running drill, you win it. You only had to tell me that once. Maybe told it to the other guys, but (laughs) I won them all. I just wasn't going to let it happen. So, um, anyway, going back – I think that's why it was emotional because uh, um, how much I really wanted to be successful here at Kentucky. Did you attend all the home varsity games? Of course I did. Tell me what your feelings were for that last home game for Adolph Rupp. Um, well, the last actual game was in Dayton, Ohio in the Correct. tournament. Um the last home game, there was still hope with Coach Rupp that he was still going to coach. I'm not sure in his heart he thought it was his last game. Um, we were told it was going to be his last game, but he fought hard to the very end. That summer, I worked the basketball camp, the Rupp Itzel Pratt basketball camp at Bellarmine College in Louisville. And uh, I would go up to his room and uh, collect my check for working the, as a counselor for that week. And he was even telling me then he was, he was coming back. So I'm sure it had to be quite painful for Coach Rupp to have to be told he can't coach anymore. That wouldn't happen today. wouldn't happen to a Mike Krzyzewski or a Dean Smith. You, you retire on your own terms. But can you believe there was in the state of Kentucky a mandatory retirement age? Which is not there now. Of course not. (laughs) And it wasn't fair, and he knew that. But uh, 
a great man like that, uh, it's, it, it just shouldn't happen. He shouldn't have left that way. So you're into a new era. Mm-hmm. The super kittens have graduated. Now it's all in their basket. And, of course, there's still a nation divided, if you want to call it Big Blue Nation, going into that year. You had your O-liners, the people that were, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, who felt like you're talking about there you should have had to retire. Mm-hmm. And then you had the others that say, hey, we got to move on. Yeah. You know, it, it's over now. Right or wrong, it's over. you got to move forward. Uh did you did you all feel any of that pressure going into that next year? No question about it. Um, you're an extension as a player. You're an extension of your coach. Um, you know, every leader um, he's got to build trust in. Uh, and we were looking for Coach Hall for direction. Um, every day in practice was a commitment. Uh, the game started and. You know, we we didn't get off to the best of starts, and uh, that added the pressure to Coach Rupp. And when you when he feels the pressure, we feel it. And I don't think we really felt freedom until we got into the um, middle about the SEC season when we started really getting traction and starting realizing, you know, hey, we can win an SEC championship. We can do something special. We're good enough. You open at East Lansing and lost. I mean, you no, won. we won, you but won. we should have then, lost. Then you lost the next three in a row. Yeah, and boy, the the, the, the blue birds had to be out. Oh heck yeah, yeah. Well, we were fortunate to win uh, at East Lansing. I remember I I think I had my worst game as a Kentucky Wildcat. I had six points. It was deer in the headlights. I I was struggling. Uh, um, I felt a lot of pressure. Hey, come on, when this is your first varsity game. Um, there's pressure enough. And uh, we started a couple of sophomores, you know, and uh, we were green and we were able to win that game. I remember G.J. Smith had a good game that game. Well, you're good on numbers. Yeah. You had six. Yeah, oh, I remember. <laughs> that was the worst game I ever played. You you go through the season, you get it sort of turned around. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people like to say that weren't around when you and I were that Kentucky fans never stormed the court. <laughs> now they haven't at Rough Arena. There's barricades they it, up. They did. They yeah, did at the Coliseum. Trust yeah, me. Yes, they did. When we beat Tennessee for the and that can uh, um, that was here at Memorial Coliseum. Last game of the season. Last game, nationally televised. Um, we really wanted this, certainly for us, vindication for all the pressure we had to go through, and for all those uncertainty uh, Kentucky fans that thought maybe Coach Hall didn't belong at the helm. We wanted this for Coach Hall. We wanted it for the, you know, validate the super kittens to come in there and do what we did. It was awesome. It was a, it was maybe I started out the season my worst game ever as a Kentucky Wildcat. I may have had the most efficient game in that SEC championship. I can remember that game like it was yesterday. Boy, that place was rocking. It and was. like – before the game, the students would line up around the front Yeah, for like two, three days ahead of time. They sure did. And the cafeteria yeah. always passed out oranges. about two-week-old oranges. <laughs> Ray Mears told me later in life that mm-hmm. uh, that he, when they would come in there that they were forced to walk down in front of the students two and a half hours before the game just to get to the locker room. <laughs> and he said, I would look up the scoreboard, and I would say it said Kentucky 10. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I know there were some oranges thrown from the stands. They had to come out there with the squeegees, get the orange juice off. Uh, there was a lot of hate. Ray Mears and his program, they were tough, though, man. They could defend in that 1-3-1 zone defense that they had, and – Every possession was so important. Yeah, they were hard to play against. But if we didn't play our best game, we would have lost to Tennessee. But thank God we had the home court advantage my sophomore year and we were able to win the SEC tournament. And we carried Coach Hall off the floor with that, with that win. And so the next year you think you're really ready to roll. Mm-hmm. But you're missing a key ingredient in really having it. You didn't have a true big man, did you? No, Jim Andrews graduated and – 
Uh, Jim was really our most valuable player our sophomore year. He, I think, was our leading scorer and our leading rebounder. And Jim was seven foot tall, athletic, could block shots, protect the rim. One of the best athletes uh, at seven feet you would ever see. If you see Jim now, he's gained a little weight. He, he, he wouldn't think that this guy could uh, go up and uh, nearly hit his head on the rim. He was such a great athlete. So we were all playing uh, our positions my sophomore year. When Jimmy Dan uh, or when uh, Jim Andrews graduated, everybody had to shift. Bob Guyette and um, Jimmy Dan Connor, they were forwards. I was a power forward. Uh, Bob Guyette had to play some center. Um, we really, you know, Steve Lopmuller even uh, was playing some center. So we were small. We couldn't uh, defend the rim, and everything was an effort. And uh, thank God we didn't have a losing season. We would have been the first to have a losing season. 13-13 is not acceptable here in Kentucky. <laughs> that, was, that was Joe's worst season. Mm -hmm. It also was sort of a come down on – by some that, hey, you've got the super kittens and you can't even have a winning year. Mm -hmm. And basically those are people didn't understand you didn't have a true center yeah. to, to go in there. So you go into the offseason between your junior and senior years, and you had a high your freshman year, a good year your sophomore, then your junior year. What's the mindset of the team going into 74-75? Well, we – helped recruit like crazy to get a big man and uh, we were I remember recruiting Kent Benson and Jeff Ruland bringing these guys in entertaining them telling them look all we need is you if you and Rick Roby and Mike Phillips and so any big man I said coach Hall you just let me know when you're bringing them and I'll I'll sell them <laughs> I'll tell them how bad we need them and um we ended up getting two. We ended up getting uh, Roby and Phillips, and uh, that was very important that, that summer to recruit them. And then our mindset was we're going we're gonna to have the greatest year. We're going to have like we did our freshman and sophomore year, and we're going to win a championship. And I think that summer after we were able to sign these two studs to come here and join us, that trip to Australia that we took as a group, we played like 15 games over there. We, it brought us together again. So if there was any friction or any ill feeling from that 13-13 season, it was washed away down in the Southern Hemisphere, <laughs> having hanging out, having a good time with the guys and playing and, and that extra practice. And we started seeing how good we could be that summer. You, you come back with four or five veteran players that's going to play a lot. Mm -hmm. And then you add Robin Phillips and a couple of guy named James Lee and Jack Givens. Oh, boy. Yeah. And you put – I mean, not many people would have thought that four freshmen and five seniors would blend as well as you did. Well, it was real easy to do. First of all, Jack and James – are two of the finest people. They were playing here in Lexington, Kentucky, at Bryan Station and James uh, – where did he go? Bryan Station. I think Lee. Henry Clay. Henry Clay, you're exactly right. And we would go watch their games. The college guys would say, hey, let's go watch James Lee play tonight. Let's go watch Jack. So we're very involved when they were in high school to recruit them here. We knew how good they were and what kind of people they were. And then – Mike and Rick, the same way. I mean, they could see how hungry we wanted them, how bad we needed them. And though that, you know, we had a great freshman class, Super Kittens. I'm, I'm trying to tell you that for 30, 40 years, that might have been one of the, the great recruiting classes with James Lee and uh, Jack Gibbons and Roby and Phillips. Uh, they, they were terrific. You're, you're, you're getting ready to sort of launch the season. Uh, you get off to a uh, um, couple big wins over Northwestern and Miami, and then you pay a visit to Bloomington. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to let you tell it in your words. Well, 
we know what a rivalry Kentucky-Indiana is, and we knew how terrific Bobby Knight had built Indiana. We knew all those guys. Uh, Kent Benson, heck, I was hoping he would be a Kentucky Wildcat. I helped recruit him. I knew Quinn Buckner. I spent a lot of summers uh, traveling with the Americas team over in China. I knew him. Steve Green, who was a terrific player. Scott May, Bobby Knight had a juggernaut going on, and uh, they were undefeated um, going into that game at Bloomington. And uh, uh, we knew that, uh, you know, it was early in the year, but this was our big test. If we think we're good, we're going to have to bring it at Indiana. We thought we were ready. No, no. We got uh, just smashed. Uh, what we lose by 22 points? Maybe it could have been a 30-point loss at that point. 24, 98-74. Well, so it, Bobby Knight, the bully that he is, um, you know, Coach Hall and Bobby Knight actually were friends. I remember Fishing they fished. Fishing before Yeah, that. they would fish together and hunt together. And I'd see Coach Hall with Bobby Knight here in Lexington. Uh, I would go to Cliff Hagen Steakhouse, have my date, and I'd see Joe Hall and Bobby Knight. I'm like, are you kidding me? What's Joe Hall doing with Bobby Knight? I'd go up and say hello and – you know, uh, Bobby Knight was very friendly and nice to us. Well, he wasn't so nice to us in Bloomington. And during that game, uh, Coach Hall could see that the game is over. We're down 25 or 6 at that point, And he took us out of the game. And he took all the starters out. And I'm sitting right next to Coach Hall. It was a dead ball, a timeout. And um, Indiana takes the floor with about three and a half, four minutes to go. And Bobby Knight had all his starters in on that dead ball. And Joe looked at him, and, and he really didn't say, just say, hey, like, Bobby, how bad do you want this? You know, and Bobby stood up and walked down to the end of the bench, towards our bench, and he said, Joe, you coach, you coach your team, and I'll coach mine. Well, Coach Hall stands up, and he said, Bobby, what do you want, blood? You're, you're up. Look at the scoreboard. Just, you know, I, I was just wondering if you're going to put your sub. He said, sit down, Joe. I'm coaching my team. You don't coach your team. And Coach Hall kept walking towards Bobby Knight, and the two of them met. Now I lost track of what they were saying to one another. But I did stand up, and I was ready to, you know, defend Coach Hall. And the next thing you know, Coach Hall – turns his back on Bobby Knight, starts walking back to our bench, and Bobby Knight slaps him in the back of the head, and Joe's glasses go flying out on the court, and that's when we grabbed Coach Hall, and that's when, you know, it got ugly, and they really started saying words to one another. I understand most people are concerned on what Lynn Nance might do. That's right. You know, you didn't want to mess with Lynn Nance. We all knew that, you know, he was a former uh, CIA guy, and, uh, you know, his his hands were um, were insured by Lloyds of London. So there was no question about it. Uh, uh, it could have got real ugly, but and as ugly as it was, it could have gotten worse. And we went back into the locker room. Coach Hall was humiliated right out there at center court by Bobby Knight with a – you know, a low blow, and we were humiliated. As players, we just got beat down. It's the worst defeat I had as a college player at Kentucky. And we went in the locker room, and Coach, in his perspective way, he didn't lose his temper. He just said, guys, it hurts. Remember this. Remember how bad this hurts. We, we got a long way to go, obviously. I don't have anything else to say. This is enough to know that we got to get back to work. We have to regroup. I believe, and I believe in you guys. I know we're better than this, but just remember how bad this feels. I've had a couple of players, Jack for one, who told me you only had less than 48 hours before you played, played North, North Carolina, Carolina in, in Louisville. Louisville. That's right. And, and he made mention to something to the fact – that some of the players just sort of started talking among themselves. Mm -hmm. And when you came back and beat North Carolina, I think it's 90 to 78, that you knew you were back on track. you got to believe it. And maybe Jimmy Dan Connor's best game as a pro. If there was one guy, he was our captain, 
our one guy who was truly our leader, both physically and mentally, who was tough as nails, was Jimmy Dan Connor. None of us wanted to go down like we did our junior year. We did not want this uh, this momentum to to be lost by this Indiana loss that we had. So it was Jimmy Dan that saved his best game as a uh, as as a Kentucky basketball player. He led us, and um, you know we were struggling in the first half of that game against North Carolina at Louisville, and then Jimmy Dan just caught fire. And um, he was guarding uh, Bobby Jones. He fizzled with Bobby Jones, nearly got into a fight with him. You know, you, you could um, uh, take somebody out back in those days. A guy <laughs> would be driving, and if you would, you know, hit him hard and drop him uh, horizontal on his back, that was considered a hard foul. Now, that guy might come up and want to fight you, but there was nothing that said you couldn't really hard body check somebody. It wasn't a flagrant, might have been a hard foul, but you weren't going to get kicked out. And Jimmy Dan, he saved for, you know some, some hard fouls for that game. As much as Kentucky, the fans, the coaches, the players hated Indiana, you couldn't have picked a more hated team than North Carolina to come back and put it together against. You got that right. Um, they were good. Now, you know North Carolina was uh, very, very, very good. And um, so we bounced back. There was, I guess it was a blessing that we only had 48 hours after that terrible loss to Indiana to be able to get right back into it. And it was a blessing maybe to play a team like that against North Carolina. You know when you beat them, we're back. We are good. That uh, it was just a bump in the road. It, it wasn't the end of the world having lost the way we did at Indiana. By the time you got to the tournament, you'd lost three more games. Uh, you lost at Auburn, you lost at Tennessee, you lost at Florida. Mm -hmm. And then you, you get into the tournament, you, uh, you beat a very good Marquette team. Yeah, that's right. Al McGuire, he had uh, quite a team. Bo Ellis, remember him? He was terrific. They were good. They were big. and um, Maurice Lucas, they were strong and powerful. Um, but – there wasn't any team we couldn't match up with, and that's what made that team so good. If you wanted to play half court, if you wanted to slow it down, if you wanted to play physical, we had two or three of the most physical players in NCAA basketball, and Roby and Phillipson in the backcourt and Jimmy Dan Connor. And um, if you wanted to play speed up, well, boy, that's how we like to play. I know every one of us guys would love to be able to get the ball off the glass Rick was very good at not only with the outlet pass, but he had a knack of being able to dribble out of traffic for a big man, take that first bus dribble off the glass, heading back down to our court, and he was a good passer. So we could get our fast break going. And uh, But teams like um, Al McGuire's team, Marquette, they wanted to slow it down, and um, we were just fine with that. Over the years – Many Kentucky teams have struggled to get out of the gate on senior day, mm -hmm. particularly the first five minutes. And almost always you started your seniors that day. Uh, in, in this particular game, uh, Mississippi State, you, you know you're going through the tournament, but yet the Super Kittens know it's going to be their last, last time, time in the Coliseum. Oh, yeah. It was very emotional leading up to it. I was, you know, like, this is the last pregame meal I'm going to have at the student center. This is the last time I'm going from the dorm to the side door to Memorial College. We, we knew this was it. You know, this is as these four years were magical, and now it's going to come to an end. And um, Mississippi State had no chance of winning. I mean, come on. <laughs> they were going to beat us on senior day. No way. And uh, I remember telling uh, Rick Roby, you know, he said, Kevin, how you feel? And I said, Rick. I feel like this is like the most important game I've ever played in. Rick, you better play well. This isn't – just don't rely on us, man. We need you to step it up and play great. And he did. He 118 did. to 80. Wow. That's unbelievable. I forgot that. <laughs> really, it was that bad. Huh? 118 to 80. So, you, wow. you, get, you get by Marquette, and mm. everybody knows what your eyes are set on. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you're playing a team that's – not even ranked, but a very good 
Central Michigan team. Oh, man. You know, they had uh, two pros on that team. Yes, they did. We didn't even know Dan Roundfield and uh, James McElroy. I ended up knowing these guys later on and became very good friends with Danny Roundfield and James. In fact, James McElroy was a regular at Greeby's Restaurant. He was dating somebody from the U.S. Postal Service in Northern Virginia, and he used to hang out in my restaurant up until about a year ago. And Danny Roundfield, he was um, very involved in the NBA Players Association, got to know him and his family. You know, Danny tragically died, drowned. Yeah, he drowned in the Bahamas. Um, His wife fell in the water, and... He never swam. He jumped in after, and um, and he drowned. His wife actually survived. It was a tragic uh, death, uh, and it was you know you get to know these guys that you play against, and it's like brotherhood, you know. And in that game against Central Michigan, I didn't know who Danny Roundfield was, you know, from Mid American Conference, and I didn't know who James McElroy was. Man, they were good. <laughs> And Danny Ramfield, he was a block sh- blocking machine. I think he had about eight blocks against us. I would we had this back door set up that Mike Flynn would come at me. I'd show the fist when and I'd make that defender overplay me, and then I'd go back door and catch it and then lay it in. And uh, it was a, a great little two man game that Mike and Ed had that Coach Hall allowed us to do. He said, Kevin, you know your score. They're going to overplay you. Show that fist to Mike or Jimmy Dan and go back door and, and finish the play. And I did that back door play like four times against Central Michigan. And there I go in. I thought it was wide open for the, you know, you weren't allowed to dunk back then. So you had to lay it up off the glass. And then here comes like Superman swooshing <laughs> through the air. And Danny Ramfield blocked my shot at least three or four times in that game. I reminded him of that. <laughs> there was not one player in college basketball that blocked my shot more than Danny Ramfield. <laughs> you get by that, and Indiana pops up, and all the they're undefeated. Mm-hmm. Everybody says they're going to go have a perfect season. Scott May had been injured uh, some time before that but had some kind of a cast on his hand and did play in that game. Mm-hmm. But no one really outside Kentucky thought Kentucky could, would win. That's right. And um, Coach Hall, uh, he was magnificent leading up to that game. I remember I th- Indiana had to play Oregon, um, and whoever won that game was going to play us. And I remember Coach Hall going on TV and press conference says, you know, I'm really rooting for Indiana. I sure hope they don't stumble against Oregon. I'm really, you know, I was like, wow, coach. (laughs) I've never heard him do that before, you know, uh, actually wanting to see an outcome. But he was playing with our minds and the media's minds and even Indiana. He was like saying, hey, down there in Kentucky, there's some fellas waiting for you. And, of course, everybody was remembering that game in December. That's right. And they wondered what the reaction was going to be. All eyes was focused when you came out on the floor. Coaches came out on the floor before the games back mm-hmm. then. What was going to happen when Bob and Joe came together? That's right. In fact, you know, we had a shoot-around, you know, the day before. Um, we had a, not a shoot-around, a full practice. And I remember at that practice at UD Arena uh, – on the day before our game, when we bust in, I remember um, there was uh, Jerry Lucas, I think, was broadcasting the game with Kurt Gowdy. And um, first of all, Joe said, okay, all the trainer, he got all hands on. He said, I want you all to walk around the arena, and anybody that you don't recognize, get them out of here. And, 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 and then he looked over at Kurt Gowdy and Jerry Lucas said, I want you all out too. And they said, Coach, we have – where was CBS Broadway? He says, where did you play high school, uh, college ball, Jerry? Well, I, I played at Ohio State. Who was your teammate? Bobby Knight. Get out. <laughs> Get out. Can you believe that? He kicked out Jerry Lucas. Well, Jerry, instead of making a big deal of it, Kirk Gowdy stayed, and he said, Jerry, go ahead and leave. And he, he left the arena. He did not want anybody to see what our game plan was going to be. And, of course, we talked about it a couple days leading up to it, how we were going to have to match up physically. He said, look, how many fouls we got here? 
Kevin, you got five. Jimmy Dan, you got five. He said, he said well, I'm counting 105 uh, fouls we have here. He said, we're going to make this a bloody game. We're going to go out there, and, and he said, we're going to do – the first play we're going to do is pancake. He said, you know what a pancake is? Well, the only pancake I know, Coach Hall, is, uh, is one you put syrup on. He said, well, I'm going to show you what a pancake is. And he said, Bob, you're, going to, you're the one that's going to lay the pancake. You're going, to, you're going to hunt. I don't care who it is. Kent Benson, Steve Green, Scott May. And as soon as they come down and set a pick on you – I want you to flatten them. Just take them out and let them know you're going to come here with these moving picks. There ain't going to be no moving picks today. There aren't going to be any more moving picks. We're coming through it, fellas. And uh, that's how the game started. Bob Guy laid out a pancake. and, um, and It was pretty common back then for whoever played Indiana to work the officials before the game. Right. They're going to set moving pick, moving pick, moving pick. They set – Every pick was a moving pick. So, you know, it's tough enough to go through a pick. You either got to go under it or over it. But if they're moving, they're making that angle so difficult for you that that player who you're guarding is going to get a free path to the basket. It's just impossible. You can't play man-to-man basketball if the officials allow moving picks. We know that. We've seen enough basketball. Anytime that high pick comes and if that big center – shifts his hips or whatever that's called but back then when you played indiana they never called those moving picks so we were going to make sure either we were all going to foul out or they're going to have to start calling them or they're going to have to stop setting them and that's exactly what happened early in the game if memory serves me correctly missed some shots mm-hmm. is it true that joe called timeout and said you guys missed eight shots now shoot 16 more or something yeah. to that effect. He said, this game isn't going to be won or lost by missed shots. He, he reminded us, remember how we're going to win this game. We're going to do it defensively. We're going to do it physically. And our defense is going to create offense. we got to stay with the, the, the plan. You guys had good looks. Keep shooting. You know, I don't mind a coach you know, saying, hey, look, our shots aren't dropping. That's not a direct insult to me who's shooting and missing them. <laughs> Um, if that coach reminds us they were good shots, and he tells the team, Kevin, keep, keep looking and hunting for good shots. And so that's just – got to stay aggressive, right? I mean, if the worst thing you can tell a, a shooter or a team is, uh, hey, we're missing our shots, and um, we're going to have to start taking the ball to the basket or start trying to draw fouls. Now we're defensive. Now we're thinking. We have to be reactionary out there. So we stayed with our play, and eventually our shots started falling. And I'll tell you what, you know, I, you know, you got to single out a, a player in every game who is your emotional leader, somebody that just, you know, just bows their neck and just tightens the, the situation. It was Mike Flynn. Going, going against his home state team. You got it. Mike Flynn, Mr. Indiana. There were a lot of people in Indiana that uh, wrote Mike off because he came to Kentucky. I mean, how could you be a player of the Indiana and not go to one of our wonderful Indiana institutions? You know? <laughs> and Mike, Mike came to Kentucky just putting a little more salt on the wound. And uh, that was vindication for Mike. You got a pretty good lead. It got a little bit tight at the end. Oh, boy, did it ever. Um, you know, we had a nice lead. Kent Benson was a man among boys for Indiana. He was, I think he had 30-some points, like 20-some rebounds. And he didn't want them to to to, to go easy. And uh, everything Kent put up was going in. And they made a rally. And I remember we had to call a timeout. There was a scrum. There was uh, – um, I remember leaving the huddle, and a, a very important thing for a coach to do that now that I'm 65 <laughs> and uh, is to remind you how many fouls you have left, how many timeouts. you got to let the guys know what's happening in this game. Some players instinctively know it. I always knew, you know, time. I always knew how much time internally was on that clock or on a shot clock, and I always knew the score. I mean, I didn't have to be a, you know, a scoreboard watcher to know these things, but he reminded us, look, guys, we're up two. 
we do have a timeout if we get in a bad situation. And we're in the penalty. So when we left that huddle, we had a very uh, difficult time getting the ball in. But it was just under the five-second count. And then it was thrown into Jimmy Dan. They double-teamed him. And he had no outlets. So I called a timeout. And I remember Dickie Parsons running up to me. He said, Kevin, that was such a heads-up play. We, we could have turned that ball over. Good job. And I said, you know, well, you, you made us aware, Coach. You know, um, and uh, that was probably the most important timeout I ever called. We were able to get the ball back in. They fouled, and then we finished the game and won. But uh, you're right, Oscar. Uh, could have been a disaster if we would have lost that game. That was an afternoon game. Yeah, it was. It was an afternoon And you had a bus trip back to Lexington. Boy, we sure did, man. It was like a magic bus ride, man. <laughs> we were so happy. I think we could have just floated back to Lexington. But uh, we boarded that bus. Coach Hall, he told us before the game, he kind of painted in our minds what was going to happen. You know, uh, we're going to cut the nets down. We're going to take a bus back to the Coliseum, and we're going to have a celebration. And that's exactly what we did. We won the game, and it was everything that he said it would be. And I remember um, taking I-75 south, and, of course, I was very familiar with the part in, in Ohio, and we're going through, and then we crossed over Cincinnati and uh, into Kentucky. And every, I mean, every stop, every exit, every bridge, we saw Kentucky fans shaking. They, they were waiting on our bus and, you know, waving to us. And we had quite a... Quite a ride back to Lexington. It was never a ride I've ever had quite like that one. Many thanks to Kevin Grevy for joining Oscar on this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. Well, more with Kevin in part two of Oscar's conversation, and that will be episode 95 coming up in the future. Another super kitten that Oscar's interviewed is Jerry Hale, and those episodes are 61 and 62, and you can find those episodes along with many others at oscarcombs.com. Be sure to subscribe to Conversations for free, and every new episode will be delivered to your mobile devices. Search for at Wildcat News in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud to subscribe as we relive the history of Kentucky basketball with Oscar and his guest. Oscar on Twitter always delivers, and you can follow him at Wildcat News. I'm Bill Robinson, and I thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.